Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cope Life Nation. I am so excited that you're here. I'm happy that you're joining me because I get to share a very special guest and a very incredible story with you this evening. I'm excited because what we do here in the Cope Life Nation is we strive to live a life of kindness, optimism, positivity, and empathy. And there are a lot of people in this world who struggle with that because of what they've been through. They struggle with being kind. They struggle with positivity and optimism. They don't want to be empathetic because of what they've been through. And when they say things like life hasn't been fair for them, when they say things like life wasn't good to them, they're right. Some people have endured things that they should not have endured. Some people have been through pain, trial, and tribulation that they did not deserve. And so it makes sense. It makes sense. It's logical that those people are choosing not to be kind. It makes sense that those people don't see optimism. They don't choose positivity. However, there are people in this world who have been through the absolute worst. They've been at the very bottom. There are people who felt like their lives were over when they were just children. And and yet those people have rebounded. Those people have lived to tell a story that inspires the rest of us to maybe recognize what we should be grateful for. And some of these people inspire us to quit wasting time whining and crying about stuff that we have no business whining and crying about. And to me, one of the greatest examples of that, this person, Christopher Rausch, his story is incredible. And what we're going to do, we're going to dig into his story a little bit, but What really needs to happen is once you're inspired, once you're motivated by his story, I'm going to give you an opportunity to click on the link and to purchase his book to hear the whole story because it's amazing. You want to get it all. Don't cheat yourself by only getting this episode. But without further ado, I'm going to bring him up because Christopher Rausch is the man. He is your no excuses coach, and he's all about overcoming all of the BS that you've been telling yourself your whole life so that you can live the life you desire and deserve. Welcome, Chris. How you doing? Dude, my brother, can I take that introduction right there and just use it for every talk that I ever do? Charleston, man, that was brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. I'm excited to be here and excited to help anybody and everybody who's ready to take on the information that I'm I'm ready to share. I love it. I appreciate you so much for being here. And when I say that you've been through so many hard times, I guarantee you that there are people who who maybe watched that first 90 seconds and said, oh yeah, oh yeah, I bet he hasn't been through this. I bet he hasn't been through that. He doesn't know what it's like because we've all been there. Mm-hmm. We've all said things like it could have been worse or this person doesn't really know pain. We've all judged other people based on our experiences combined with our ignorance of their lives. And so where I really want to start is just Man, tell me, tell me something about you. Let's get it rolling because because there's a lot. You've lived a full <laughs> life and I'm grateful for you to be here, man. So we're going to start it however, however you want to start it. Sure. Uh, well, honestly, Charleston, I love what you were saying right there. You know, it, it really is for me. It's either you are a victim of your situations or you're a victor of your situations. You can either look at life as happening for you or life is happening to you. And I think that's one of the gifts that we all have is we have the ability to choose our own reality within our own selves. And Dr. Victor Frankel talks about that in Man's Search for Meaning on an excellent book. People ask me all the time about book recommendations. Man's Search for Meaning in there 
really told me and showed me that although a lot of external situations can happen in my life, no one can tell me how to think. No one can tell me how to feel. You, I want you to feel like dirt. I want you to feel like whatever. No, we, we allow that to happen. And when I started learning that resiliency muscle, things started changing. I mean, my life was full of uh, physical and mental abuse from the time I was born. I never knew my biological father. I grew up with a mother who was on welfare and food, stamp, food stamps had already had a seven-year-old girl when she was 19 years old. Uh, I come bouncing into the picture. She was going to place me for adoption. She decides not to, and she's got two kids in inner, inner, inner city, Los Angeles, just barely trying to make it. So the physical and mental abuse was there. And then ultimately at 13 years old, after going and um, switching schools and getting into the seventh grade and going through puberty and all that good stuff, I went from being a bully, uh, being bullied in school, in elementary school, constantly getting my, my butt kicked all over the school um, to suddenly growing and getting taller and bigger and stronger and doing drugs and drinking. And I go back to school now as the bully. And so fortunately, and I say, fortunately, fortunately, I came home and then on May 10th, 1982, we became evicted out of our house. And from that point forward for the next four years, from 13 to 17, I spent my life living in the backseat of a station wagon with 18 cats and four dogs. That's not a joke. There were 30 cats and we couldn't catch them all. And that's all we caught into the car. So there was, because people say, oh my God, how did you have 18 cats? I'm like, no, there was actually about 30. Uh, we actually went back two nights later after we got evicted, trying to look at these said lost cats lost cats. My mother had various psychological disorders, chemical dependencies. And so for those next four years, in and out of the car, in and off the street, uh, two failed suicide attempts. Fortunately, I sucked at it. Um, ultimately, I had a gun put to my head. I had a gun put to my head and I told the guy to pull the effing trigger. I told him, I said, pull the trigger. I thought it was going to be a click and I thought that would be it. I'm going to make it to 17, right? Fortunately, he didn't pull the trigger. Fortunately, that allowed me that situation right there, Charleston, that allowed me the opportunity to see my life in one of three different directions, right? I'm 17 years old. I've already been homeless on the streets for four years. I've already grown up with my mom and all the various psychological stuff going on there. So here I am. I tried to kill myself. Fortunately, I just sucked at it. I didn't really want to die. I was just trying to, 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 I mean, I did want to die, but I also wanted attention. I just wanted somebody to say, Hey, Chris, I love you. It's going to be okay. I got you because nobody in my life was doing that. Everybody was leaving. Every single person in my life left, except for my mother. We stuck it out together. And so ultimately I had to sit there and think, well, I'm going to get out of this situation in a police car because I was doing bad things with bad people. I'm going to get out of this situation in a pine box because either I'm going to kill myself and it's actually going to work. Or I'm going to have a drug overdose or I'm going to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and get my head shot off. Or, or I'm actually going to have to grow up and leave this situation and let my mom fend for herself. And that's what ultimately I had to do. I was like, I'm not going to jail over this. I'm not going to die over this. I don't deserve this. I'm 17 years old. I want to do what my other kids, other people I see on movies doing, like and going to prom and having dinner every night and having a normal childhood. And so ultimately I had to leave her in that situation. I didn't leave her. I still went back and I helped her every single night. Um, but ultimately through that process, Charleston, by making that proclamation to God, source, universe, whatever you believe in, I believe that he, she, it, they put me in a, in a motion to become successful. And so from that point forward, long story short, I got my GED when I was 18 and I spent 12 years in, in university and got my, earned my master's degree uh, the same year I bought my first house at 30. So there's, there's, there's some stuff to digest there. <laughs> there there's, there's definitely a lot to digest, a lot to digest, but I'm going to take it to the beginning, to the very beginning. Okay. You said, you said you were born when your mother was 19 and she already had a seven-year-old. No, she was 26. She was 19 when she had her seven-year-old. Oh, she was nine. Okay. So she was 19. With Maria. She and she was 26 with me. Okay. So, well, so, I mean, my question doesn't change. My question <laughs> is, 
when you were a child and depends on what you can remember from childhood earlier, what do you think was your mom's level of self-worth or self-respect as you were like making your way through kindergarten and elementary school? Oh, um, at that point, you know, honestly, her self-respect, her regard for herself has always been uh, outstanding. She had a very, very healthy sense of self. I think truly and within her nature, she used to always tell me I'm four years old. I'm like, mom, shut up. You're not four years old. You're 40 years old. Why don't you start acting like you're not four years old? And then ultimately, Charleston, I started thinking about my anger and my resentment towards my mother. And it wasn't wasn't massive. It wasn't like my sister. My sister blamed my mother for everything and only spent the first 16 years life of her life with her. My sister turned out exactly like my mother. It's a that's a whole other story. If you want to go down that rabbit hole, that's funny. That is that is amazing how I turned out completely different than my mother, but spent my entire life with her for the most part. And my sister left at 16 and turned out exactly like her and hated her guts. You know, it's just crazy. Um, but I think, you know, that we just, we have this opportunity to, to see things from different perspectives. So I thought if I went through what my mother went through in her life and I went through all the different things during the period of time when she grew up in 1942, you know, all these different things, she was raised by her parents who grew up in the depression, all these different things, all of these things, might I be like my mother? And that I hated to say it. And I still hate, cause I was like, no, I wouldn't have been, but I would have had to have been, I would have had to then that same person in those same situations. So I actually developed a lot of empathy and, and sadness and for and forgiveness for her in her roles. And ultimately it wasn't until toward the end of her life that really she started seeing those lessons that, that many of us get to see earlier on in life. And it was sad for her to learn them so late in life, but I'm so glad that I got to be there with her when she realized them. That's, that's very powerful. You know, that's very powerful. I see a lot of things on social media that I would say they're, they're pure crap, right? Pure crap. Things toss, they talk about things like, cutting people off and kicking these people out your life and so on. And you do have to distance yourself from some people, but at the same time, you chose empathy. You can say whatever you want was your mom good to you, bad to you, whatever it is, but you didn't decide I hate her. You chose empathy. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that. I love that you made that decision because it was a conscious decision. Yeah. Um, but as we progress, so we'll get to that, but I want to progress through now, through the elementary school, the bullying up to seventh grade. How did you feel about yourself, your self-worth, your confidence when you decided you weren't going to school anymore? That is a, that's a very tricky question. Honestly, my self-worth and my value in life was never much at all. Like literally I, I, I learned very early that if I could be the best person for whoever that person needed me to be, then I would be successful. Then I would be included in the groups. I mean, I just, all I ever wanted was inclusion. Like literally my sister left when I was nine years old, my biological father wasn't there, you know, uh, abandonment and, and wanting to feel inclusive, wanting to feel loved, wanting, wanting to feel something. I just started catering myself to each individual person. And as I started learning that, that's how I got my self-worth was, was I good enough to make that person like me? Was I good enough to make that person laugh? Was I good enough to make that person think? And so my self-worth was complete crap. I mean, to be the person in front of you today that stands on front of stages and, and it's, it's pretty incredible. When I went back through this book that I just wrote and I've done it now three times where I've read my own story, I'm amazed at how I have turned out. It's sometimes I think like, man, I would love to have a video camera on me. Cause I know there's a lot of stuff that I'm forgetting, but 
I keep choosing, I keep choosing this path of growth. I keep choosing to find love and empathy and forgiveness because I watch so many people who are successful on the outside, be miserable and kill themselves with their short-term gratifications because they weren't able to process what their parents put them through. And I sat and I've, I've coached a lot of people. I've been coaching for over 20 years. And that's one of the biggest things I help people do is reframe their beliefs about their past. Like, what did that make you think about yourself? I can usually find it. It's one point in their childhood, usually sometime before seven years old, where they made a determination about their value, about their worth. And so for me, that's been the process of, of trying to uncover that and find out who exactly Chris is. Like I was a suit and tie speaker. I told you this before when you were friends, I was a suit and tie speaker. You can see it on my YouTube page. I was doing everything that everybody else wanted me to do. And I was miserable and I was comfortably miserable. I had good money. I had all these things, but I was, I was miserable inside because I had to keep this, this farce up. And so I just decided I'm just going to be me. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of everybody, but I'm going to do it on my terms, you know? And I, that's when I took off the suit and tie. I said, I'm not that person. I'm a biker. I'm a rocker. I'm a smart ass. I swear. I love rock music, whatever it might be. I'm just going to be me. And when I started doing that, the clients, the business, the happiness, the inner peace, the health, the love, the relation, every single aspect of my life grew exponentially. And I could see these people still wallowing in their self-pity and their misery and, and, Oh, life is so bad. Was I drive my Ferrari? Hey man, all you got to do is just process your stuff and like really give it a different label and a different meaning. And your whole outlook can change and your relationships can change and all of that can build on itself. And you can live in a pretty amazing life. Um, not easy. I mean, it's, it's been a whole, I've read hundreds, if not thousands of books. I've been to therapy. I've continually gone to school. I had mentors and coaches. I've pushed myself more than most people will ever push themselves. So it is not easy, but it is hella worth it. See, I love that. And I love that. What you're saying is that like so many people, like most of us, you had countless opportunities to quit, to give up, to go high, to crawl into a hole, but you continue to choose to move forward. And so many times it's, it's not about like you didn't choose when you were, you know, 11 or 17 or 19 years old. You didn't choose worldly or lifelong success. You just choose to keep moving forward. You weren't thinking, oh, if I do this now, then when I hit this age, I'm going to have this kind of house. You're just like survive. I deserve better than this. Mm -hmm. And so. So can you talk about the process of recognizing that you are better than the crap that was around you? Yes. I mean, that's a great question. I mean, it, it really happens when we start asking ourselves what we're willing to tolerate uh, and for what reasons and having those boundaries and really developing that core, that core tenant that I guess you're talking about is really our values. Like, what are my values? And am I being congruent to my values? And am I allowing people to cross my values because I want their adoration and their respect or I want their money or their fame or whatever else? Am I compromising my values for this? And so I think one of the first things that we can really get clear about is what our values are. And then the next step, and I'm going through this with a new coaching client right now, anyway, is the next step is like, what are our boundaries? And where are we going to start establishing boundaries that say that they protect the things that are most important to us, right? So many times we're told not to be selfish. We're told supposed to take care of everybody else. And one, we wind up all fatigued and burned out while everybody else is fat and happy. And then they wonder why we're in a miserable mood. The first thing people need to do is they need to start taking care of themselves. And the first thing they need to start doing is loving themselves. So you have to love yourself. You don't love yourself and you're expecting to have amazing relationships. You're expecting to have an amazing career and make lots of money and, and have clients or whatever it is that might, you might want. 
you got to love yourself first. You have to have that belief. I mean, my wristbands say believe on them for a particular reason. You have to believe. You have to believe that this story is going to turn out great, that everything that's happened in your life and happening right in your life now is happening to prepare you for what's next. And so many people have that victim mask on. And what do they do? They associate with other victims. Oh, it's the government's fault. It's this person's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my ex-wife's fault. It's my kids. Whatever. It's everybody else's fault but themselves. But they're the ones that are miserable. And so what we got to do is we got to get clear about who we are. We got to get clear about our values. We got to clear, get clear about what we're going to no longer tolerate anymore. Because when people actually take pen to paper and write down what they're tolerating from themselves and from an inanimate objects and other people, it's pretty amazing when people come up with excuses like, I don't have time to do something. Well, it's pretty clear you don't have time because you're doing everything for everybody else. How about one third of this list? How about we cut a third of this list away? Will you have time? Yes. Oh, but Chris, you don't understand. Blah, 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 blah. This person won't do this. And this person, what, you want to make, make a bet? I said, if you drop dead tomorrow, somebody's going to figure out how to make lunches and send kids to school, aren't they? Somebody's going to figure out how to operate a washing machine, right? Somebody's going to pick up their clothes, right? Right? People don't want to do that. They don't think that they have the value. Oh, I could never do that. My kids will never listen to me. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> if your kids aren't listened to and you're the parent, then what hope for love and success do you have? You have to start making those tough decisions. Those kids need those boundaries too. And so it's just a matter of reshaping somebody's belief to sit there and say, I'm not going to tolerate this BS anymore from myself or from anybody else. I'm going to get clear about what it is that I'm going to do. And I'm going to, first of all, take care of these five areas, sleep, hydration, nutrition, vitamin D, and exercise. Those five areas I have found, Charleston, that so many people are, are dehydrated and they, they think like crap. They make bad decisions. They go to the short-term gratification because they want the serotonin release or whatever. They're not even drinking enough water. We're half, like, depending on what study you look at, 70, 80% of water. And if we're dehydrated, we're making terrible decisions and we keep that, that vicious cycle of insanity going on. We're not exercising. We're not getting good oxygen in our blood. We're not meditating. We're not getting great nutrition. But yet we want all these amazing things in our lives, but we won't willing to, we're not willing to invest and make those choices for ourselves. And so that's what I do is I get people to have that clarity and that confidence to be able to say, nope, stops today. I'm not going to do it anymore. See, I, I love that. And I love how the things that you're talking about right now, the things that you're saying, go back to what you've already done. Because what you said was you had to believe in yourself and you said that you decided you were worth it. When you talked about going through the trials and tribulations, when you talk about working through the issues, what you said was you decided you're worth it. You're worth the work. And so then, because you've lived it, when you talk to other people, they need to understand that they are worth it. And so when you say things like these people to expect to have these good lives, I think a lot of times they don't expect it, but they hope for it. And they hope that someone else will give it to them because they don't believe that they're worthy of putting in the work. And so they need to elevate their own self-worth. Yes. And a lot of times what happens, what it takes to elevate your self-worth or self-confidence is taking action. And I say that to you, but in reality, we can look back at your life and see where you took action. There were, you didn't tell me any stories where something happened to you and you thought about it. That was that was not the end of the story. Thinking about it didn't help you overcome. You had to take action. Oh yeah. And sometimes the 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 self-worth and the belief in the self comes after you take action because you essentially have to prove to yourself I can do this. And then you do the work and then you're happy and then you realize I'm worth the work. And yeah. so what do you what do you say to someone that is someone that is more than capable. 
They're more than capable and you see it and people around them see it, but they believe, they believe that they have to, some something about their values, something about the way they view other people, they have to take care of other people first, that their value and worth is tied into the happiness of other people. Like right. I'm worthless if you're unhappy. What do you say to that person? That's what that's not, that's what I was. I was that person. I gauged my happiness and success out of the people are all around me from different aspects of life. And it's ultimately you just got to get sick and tired of being sick and tired because we know on the inside how we truly feel. We know, oh man, I got to go to work today and I got to be 15 different people from I got to be a person for my boss. I got to be a person for this. I got to be. It's exhausting. We talk about, you know, just recently with the pandemic, we had to wear the mask. So many people wake up in the morning, they put this mask on like, oh, I have to be this person for, for, for work. And then later on, when they're on the way home, they have to be this person for their wife or their husband. And they have to put the mask on and be this person for their friends. I just decided that I wasn't going to do that anymore. I just decided that, wow, what happens if I'm myself? I love asking myself questions. What happens if I'm just myself and I attract the right people into my life? How incredible would that be? See, when you, when you say that, though, what I, what I think of is you put the mask on. So what you were saying was, what if I don't put the mask on and I just be myself? And I think about the people who don't know who they are. I have to put these masks on because if I'm not wearing these masks, I don't know who I am. Oh, and, so, and so what I would like for you to do is to speak on that concept in regards to values and clarity. Mm, mm, I love this, Charleston. I love this. There's a couple of different ways I can go with it, but I'll go with one that I know always hits home with people. It was back in 2008 where I was at a funeral and I was thinking about my life and I was comfortably miserable at that point. I was making great money, got the master's degree on the house, got the girlfriend. I think at that point, uh, I, she was my wife at that point. You know, everything is good, but there's something missing inside of me. There's still, I'm still needing to do this work. And so I go to a funeral for a coworker of mine and I knew her and I knew of her, but I really didn't know her, but just out of my, my own thing, I like to go to funerals and pay my respects and whatnot. And person after person that I knew was going up there and eulogizing this individual and like, oh, out of work, she was this and she did this and her fight with cancer. And I was just going, wow, this lady, Anne was such an incredible person, just an incredible person. I'm like, and I said to myself, I hope when I die that people get up there and say those things about me. And I think most of us have said that at a, at a funeral, like, man, I hope I go, I hope I cause this kind of an up, up, uproar for, you know, when my life's gone, but what do we do with that? And so I sat there and I thought, Chris, if you died tomorrow, who would show up and what would they say? And I was in my thirties successful and everything. And I thought quite honestly, 15, 10 to 15 people would show up. They would bring bottles of Jack Daniels and Miller genuine draft. Cause that's what I used to drink or I still drink sometimes uh, Bon Jovi and Motley Crue records and talk about all the stupid stuff Chris did. Oh my God. Remember that time he drove his car off this. Remember that time he did this. Remember that time he got locked. Remember that time he, you know, he, he tried to walk home from big bear and his, in his towel, nothing. What it, remember that time. And then the, then the, the, the end part, Charleston would be, Oh yeah. Remember he was a homeless uh, seventh grade dropout who changed the world. And I just thought, I'm like, I don't want to be totally remembered for this party animal persona, great time person that I was because I did have a great time. I'm not telling anybody not to have a great time, but I was also hiding certain aspects of my identity. And that's what we're talking about here is our identity. And so for me, it as part of the healing process, a part of as part of letting go on pain and anger towards myself and towards others. One of those things was like, okay, I have to stop being who I'm not. I have to stop saying yes to every single person just because I'm afraid to say no, because they're not going to like me anymore. I have to start establishing these boundaries. And that's, again, I went back to my values. What do I value the most? And so when I was thinking about that, that eulogy situation, I came home and I wrote my eulogy. And in that process, I forwardly depicted 
that whenever my time comes, here's exactly how I want to be remembered. So I have a, I have a, I have a sheet right in front of me now that says, this is who I am. And this is who I am going to continue to be until I feel like changing this. And so every day when I wake up, I get to say, wow, my intention today is to fulfill my legacy, which is to fight for what's right and what's fair risk for which that matters and leave the world a better place for who I am and what I do. And that's the crux of my eulogy. And when I read it back to myself, the first time I started crying and I had no expectations, no anticipation, but I was like, wow, what an amazing life. That's the life I'll be proud to live. I don't want, I mean, yeah, my friends showing up and saying all that, whatever it is that it is, but wow, to be able to sit there and think like, I know now Charleston in just the work I've done in the last three years since leaving corporate that I know if I passed away tomorrow, I know that my, my, my wife would get thousands of messages from all around the world. Your husband impacted me. Your husband said this, your husband changed me here. Da, 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 da. I would feel great about that. It's obviously too soon for me because I have a six-year-old son, but at least I know every single day I'm living my life. I'm living my life. And when I go to bed at night, this is the God's honest truth. I think back, what's the one thing that I'm really most proud of today that I know if I died tonight, that somebody would talk about tomorrow. Oh, my show or this conversation I had our coaching client or, you know, an interview or somebody. I usually go to bed thinking about something that I did that day that I know made an impact in the world. It may not be perfect. I still may go to bed feeling frustrated or anything else, but I know that I was still living on point. And I think that's what we have to get clear on is who we want, who we choose to really be like, what's my natural gift. And then go out there and share that with the world. And if anybody around you says your natural gift is stupid, then get new people. I, I love it. I love it. Um, so before we continue, and, and I have definitely have another question to ask you, but I just want to ensure that everyone has an opportunity. If they want to hear more about your story, I just want to make sure people have the link, right? So I'm going to keep this up there as we talk a little more because a couple of things you said were, if I die tomorrow, and so you said that, and then there are some things you said after that, and then you talked about what would happen. You talked about living your values every day. What would happen if you pass? What would people say? And to me, when I hear that, I think if I die tomorrow, what will happen? And that question is relevant every day. So I want to know your thoughts on this quote. The problem is people think they have time. Right. People do think they have time. I, I, everybody I meet, Charleston, is playing the someday game. Talk to your friends. Like, what would make you that? Oh, someday when I can have a ranch and have all these animals. Oh, someday when my husband and I can retire. Da, da, da. Someday when my kids get their stuff together. Oh, someday when I have my own business. Oh, everybody's playing the someday game and thinking they, that someday actually exists on a calendar. I invite people to sit there and say, okay, what's that someday on a, on a calendar? Right. Oh, Chris, I know you're a coach and everything. I'm like, no, seriously, what's that? What's that someday? Is that when you're 55? Is that when you're 24? Is that what is that? And then what's the plan working backwards from that that's going to ensure that it's successful? Right. And you think about that. I mean, that's that's the way I live every single day is just having that intention in my mind to know that I have a clear objective of what it is that I'm doing and who I'm becoming, and that I'm not going to sacrifice that for anything outside of my values and my boundaries. I, I love that. I love that. When you talk about when is that someday and then working yourself backwards, right? And so I think about if someday I'm going to be this and that, I'm going to own this company, impact a billion people, I'm going to speak in front of a, a sold out, packed Wembley Stadium. Yeah, that's what's up. Okay. I'm speaking right after you. So if that's going to happen someday and that day is not tomorrow, then what am I doing tomorrow? And I, and, I, and I go back to you speaking on values and, you know, you're speaking on values, but you also mentioned intention. 
Mm-hmm. So I can't just have these values and hope to invoke these values randomly. So for example, if if kindness is a value of mine, let me randomly hope I can be kind to someone. That's not living my values. Mm-hmm. No. That's 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 living with hope as a strategy and hope is not a strategy. There are plenty of businesses to show you that. <laughs> and so so talk about how you intentionally bring your values to just the world around you and the people you interact with the most. No, thank you, man. I think you appreciate that. It's, it really is true. And, and the thing that shifted me from that particular pr- perspective is that for me, it was always about, okay, what's the next three, six, nine, 12 months looking like? What's the next three, five, 10 years looking like? I was always in the future. Or I was always in the past. I was never truly in the moment. And so now I sit there and I think, wow, I get to live today. Like Aubrey Marcus wrote a book called how to win today or how to win the day. And I thought that's kind of lame. Like win the day. That's I could win the day every single day. But when you really think about it, winning that day, like if I know now at 54 years old, I just had my neighbor yesterday. I just found out my neighbor yesterday was who was a friend of mine. We we hung, used to hang out a little bit. He moved far away. He just, he died June 6, 46 years old of a heart attack. Just poof. Like he has a seven-year-old son. It's like, and he goes to the gym and he, you know, did bad stuff when he was younger. But I think about that every day. And I think about my kid. I'm like, am I being the best dad I can possibly be, you know, to help? I mean, everything, everything else is great. Yes. I want to change billions of lives and, and have TV shows and all that other stuff. But at the end of the day, if I get to do this for the rest of my life and it it, as simple as it is, and I get to write books and coach people and, and spend time with my son and be a part of his life, that's the best. That's the best. Everything else is gravy. I talk to so many people that are successful. I'm like, what do you regret most about your success? And the first thing most people say when they're being honest is the fact that they they uh, traded their family time and they traded those memories and those moments to be successful. And now they would trade all the money and all the possessions that they would have to go back and do it over again. And so I listen to stuff like that. So when I think about my life, it's like, how do I get to win up the day, win, win the day? And so to your point, Charles, and I, I'll say this for everybody, I always think that people know about me, but when I wake up, the first thing I think about is what I'm grateful for. So instead of picking up my phone and looking at the news and going, oh my God, these people died today. And oh my God, what's going on in North Korea? What's going on? All that stuff. The first thing I do is like, man, I'm grateful my son's sleeping like 10 feet away from me in in another room. I'm grateful for my wife's here. I'm grateful for my animals. I'm grateful for the fact that I have working windows in my, whatever I say. And I just say, just run down things that I'm grateful for. And the next thing I do is I set the intention for the day. My intention today is to be present and playful with my son. My intention today is to use my words and my actions to make this world a better place for who I am and what I do. My intention is to use my actions today to take better care and love myself a little bit more. Whatever is something that I might need to focus on myself, my intention today is to set better boundaries with my time management. Like so many people say that my time management sucks. I'm like, what do you do about it? Well, I keep trying different things. I'm like, no, you can keep trying. You just do it. Like, I'll teach you a time management system that works. You use your you use your Outlook calendar and it syncs to your phone and you put everything on your calendar. And if it doesn't fit, then you don't promise anybody you're going to do it. And if you need to change it, you change it. If you change it three times, then you get rid of it. It's like, there's only so many things you can do with a calendar. It's like time management isn't, it's just managing yourself, but it's a BS excuse when I sit there and people say, oh, I have a horrible time management because I know I do too, but I have methods in place. I have sticky notes in front of me. I have certain things that I do that say, okay, if it doesn't get done, then that's not a priority anymore. And let's bump the priorities up. And once I start taking care of the priorities, if that thing ever comes back, then I know it was important. But so many times we think we have to do this. I have to do this and I have to do this. I have to do this and it has to be perfect. Back to the thing we originally talked about. Go fail your way to success, ladies and gentlemen. Go take imperfect action. That's the way I've got everywhere in my life. Literally was say yes and then figure it out. Literally everything. Like, Chris, you should go back and get a GED. Are you crazy, dude? I'm stupid. Yes, okay. I had to call a bunch of high schools on a a push button phone 
do you guys have a GED program? No, thank you. Okay, hang up. And I just figured it out. And one, I, then somebody called and said, yes, we do. And I said, okay, what's the next thing I do? What's the next thing I do? What's the next thing I do? Then I suddenly I graduated with a GED six months later. I'm like, okay, what do I do now? And then my, my mentor says, oh, what do you think about going to college? I'm like, are you crazy? Hi, Golden West College. What does it need? And I just kept, I've, Chris, you want to take over the mail department at work? I don't know anything about mail. Sure, I'll figure it out. Every single step of the way, I've just said, I'm going to figure it out. The parts where I've gotten to the perfectionist side of me, where, where things like this take four years for me to write, when, and, and I've got three other books, that's the problem that I have to work on. Is like, okay, now that I've got all this stuff, now I'm afraid to let it go. But if I continue doing what I've always done, if it's continued to yield results, then I need to continue to do that. Definitely, definitely. I, I love it. I love you, again, demonstrating in your life that you've experienced what you're coaching other people to get over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's simple. It's simple as that is that you've been there and maybe they have a life experience that you've never had. Oh, yeah. But they're not going to have a feeling of self-doubt or fear or insecurity that you have not also experienced and but still one, experience. But one thing that one thing that you mentioned, of course, is you mentioned your son mm. and you mentioned your son and gratitude. And so I'm going to talk about both. But when it comes to your son, one thing I think about is when we talk about our purpose, because a lot of people get caught up on the motivational speakers and the quotes on social media, we are all not going to change the world. And so it's pretty clear that your purpose is to first and foremost, be a good father. Meet, I, you want to meet your potential as a father. That's more important than meeting your potential as a business person. Thousand percent. Right. And so I just want to point out that you choose your purpose. You choose your meaning in life. And for you, it's being a dad. And I'm the same way. I'm the exact same way. And I, and I love that. So um, so before I get into some other stuff, I just want to speak on that. I want, to sp I want you to speak on recognizing that your purpose is more about being a father and how you kind of view that compared to all of the other junk, right? Like you don't wake up saying, oh, I want to be a great dad and a world changer and a game changer and a billionaire and this and that. There's priority one. And so let's, let's speak on being intentional about priority one for a minute. Mm, mm. There's some juicy stuff right there, brother. Thank <laughs> you. I told, I knew you were going to ask awesome questions. No, I love it. I've been interviewed hundreds of times and sometimes they, so did it suck being homeless? No, it was great. Uh, next question, please. No, this is really good because I've had the ability and the opportunity to interview famous people like actors, actresses, famous rock, rock musicians, you know, not even necessarily as part of my job, just people I keep meeting. I just, I'm, I always find myself in front of famous people. I don't get starstruck. And so I'll ask them about their lives and I'll ask them about, again, like I said before, when you ask some of these rich people, what would you do over again? Like they would trade their entire fortune, their entire acting career to go back and be a dad to their two-year-old again. So I listened to that constantly. I didn't become a dad until I was 47. And I really did not want to become a parent whatsoever. I mean, I just had to deal with my wife that said, when you're 40 and I'm, or when she's, when I'm 30, no, when she's 30 and I'm 40, cause we're 10 years difference, that we would try to have a kid. And at that point she was like 23 and I was 33. And I'm like, okay, I got a bunch of time to figure out if I'm gonna be a dad or not. We tried, naturally it didn't work. We tried IVF, it didn't work. And then we got to the adoption route and it almost didn't even work then. It was like the, the fourth inning where I was ready to go, okay, I'm 47 years old. I don't wanna be a dad when I'm 50, that I became a dad. And so I knew, and I'm not a particularly religious, religious person. I believe in God's source universe. I believe in a higher power. 
And I just put it into their hands. I'm like, if this thing's supposed to happen, then then let's make it happen. But if it's not, please, God, I've put my life on hold for like the four last four years because I knew in my heart of hearts that my goal was to be a way better dad than I am a professional speaker or anybody else. And that's one of the reasons why I tabled my speaking career back in 2016 was because Jackson, you know, we were at the, we changed adoption agencies and I said, I'm going to give it my all because I didn't want competing priorities because priority is just a singular word. And so I saw my friends and their speaking careers and their kids being born and all of a sudden their kids five years old. I'm like, you've, you've, you've been on the road like 200 days a year. Well, of course I have to do it. That's why I, that's why I take care of my family. You know, it's what I need to do. It was BS. It was their ego. It was their ego. But then you talk to them when their kid's 17 years old and they're having all sorts of problems because their dad was absent or their mom was absent, whoever you pick one of them. I know situations of both. That for me was like, that's the, that's the greatest gift of a gift that I did not necessarily want. I did not think I would be a good dad. I was worried about it. I was abused in my life. My patience for stupidity and, and having to repeat myself is I don't like repeating myself. So when you have a five-year-old and you have to repeat yourself 17 times in 10 minutes, I now had to learn a lot of patience. Man, I know how to, like, I, I know how to breathe through challenging situations because yes. again I feel that that Jackson was placed in my life because there were certain lessons that I needed to learn. I need to learn a lot of lessons about love. And so now I look through life, there's two ways you can look through life, either love or fear. And so I choose to look through life through a lens of love. And I know that my 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 legacy with him and the things that I teach him and the things that I share with my family are going to last way longer and be way more important in the grand scheme of life than anything I could say to thousands of people, right? You, know, you think about Michael Jackson. We're both old enough to know who Michael Jackson is. You ask a 16-year-old today who Michael Jackson is, like, I don't know. Oh, he was a pop singer. Oh, he was that guy that slept with kids. That guy had an amazing, critically acclaimed career. And I mean, all the things he I get chills, chills about it. You think about all the famous people in the life and all the things that they did. W. Clement Stone. Who knows who W. Clement Stone is? He was the original fucking Tony Robbins. Like he's the dude. Like he was the guy that originated a lot of this personal development stuff. Psycho cybernetics. You know, that book was one of the OG personal development. Who knows what that book is anymore? And when I find people who know, they're like, oh my God, you must be over 60. You know, so for me, you know, as important it is to change the world, I'm going to change it through my son. And I want him to always know how much I love him, how much I appreciate him, how much I care about him, how much I want him just to be his own person and not get in the egoic aspects of life. If you make $3 a day freaking selling, you know, hats made out of lemons, then do it and love the heck out of it. Right. Yeah. So yes. that's yes. important. The other stuff is important at the same time, but no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sweat that stuff. I'm going to sweat my kid. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and you bring up Michael Jackson and I don't know if you've ever, had this said to you before, but I'm going to compare you and Michael Jackson. <laughs> I've never had that happen. <laughs> so here, to some famous people, though. So here's the, here's the way that I look at it is when it comes to the difference between you and Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, first of all, was never homeless. He was n he was never in a situation where he didn't know who his father was or his older siblings couldn't wait to get out the house. He wasn't in those situations. And well, his was I'm worse, not, I think. <laughs> his and, was and way so, worse. But he seemed unable, he seemed unable to keep childhood issues from impacting him as an adult. Like the things that happened as a child. And when I say things that happened, I, I don't know about any kind of abuse. I'm talking about loneliness. I'm talking about social comparison. I'm talking about always trying to be good enough. And so that impacted him throughout his lifespan. Yeah. 
But you who did not grow up in the Jackson household, you probably couldn't even sing when you were five years old. But <laughs> And if I did, I was told to shut up. <laughs> yeah, but but let's talk about how. So you didn't go through that, but you obviously went through a lot of different things that, of course, you detail greatly in your book. But talk about the, the process, the journey, the mindset, however you want to frame it from keeping the harm of your childhood from negatively impacting your son, mm. how, how you are that boundary. I will tell you the story. Like I told you a little bit before, um, I, my sister left when she was 16 years old. I was nine years old. She couldn't take my mom anymore. We have different biological fathers. My biological father was married and had a family of his own at the time. Um, so she went to go live with her dad by all stretch and means was normal. And I reunited with her back in 2005, some, I don't know how many years later I was in my thirties. She was in her forties and I found her, she found me on the internet of all things. And, uh, the thing I want to share with you out of this is there's a lot of different stories from this process. But at one point she asked me, she goes, baby brother, she goes, how did you not turn out like mom? She goes, you spent all of your time with mom. And my sister wouldn't admit at the time that she was exactly like my mom. That's how bad her, whatever it was. Um, she just asked me, she goes, baby brother, how did you not turn out like mom? And I said, I looked her dead in the eyes and I said, I chose not to. Yes. I've read so many books about leadership. I've read so many books about, you know, uh, understanding anger and resentment. I've read so many books about unpacking, you know, emotional intelligence. I've read so many things about, and, and my mom told me, my mom specifically told me, she goes, don't ever have kids. And I said, why? And she says, because our jaw lines are narrow and our teeth are crowded and physical abuse runs in our family. And I looked at her and I said, the F it runs in our family. I said, you chose to beat the F out of me. Yes. I'm going to choose not to. And I said, whatever I have to do, I'm going to do it. And trust me, when I said, it, I was like, okay, I don't know how exactly I'm going to do it, but I just decided I was never, we, my wife and I talked about it, like, we are, are we going to spank, you know, is this, I mean, I'm not going to beat them. But it was a spanking. Like, what do we we have to talk about these things? And she's like, I really don't know. And like, if it gets in the medicine cabinet, like, do we have, sometimes you kids need to be shocked a little bit. And so we've kind of said, you know, we'll just take it to we'll take it as it comes. If we see something that's like, oh my god, this might warrant that. If he doesn't learn earlier, then we won't have to do that. He's six years old. We've never had to spank him whatsoever. There have been points where I know for me that if I get triggered, this is the thing that I want people to really key in on. What are your triggers? What are your yeah. triggers? Are your triggers sitting in traffic? Are your triggers something your spouse might say to you? Or are your triggers something your employee might send you? Talk about those triggers, especially with those people, but also with yourself and say, okay, what am I going to do when I identify with the trigger that my kid is like really going to send me off nuclear? Okay. And then I would start to play those roles in my, those situations in my mind. And I would sit there and I would see myself. I would visualize myself as being calm. I would visualize myself as not taking it personal. I would visualize, I would understand in my brain, this is him exercising his independence. And so I would sit there and do it over and over again. I started reading, you know, kids books before he was even born. I just started reading it and understanding it. And I've studied child psychology for so many years because that's the key for me being a great coach is being able to go back into our childhood and see what were some of the things that got messed up and thinking about Michael Jackson's story. I mean, we never compare our, our traumas or our situations. I mean, one person can look at mine and go, oh my God, that was horrible. And Michael Jackson, I think Michael Jackson's was way worse. The emotional abuse that that poor kid endured. But the reason why he stayed locked up inside of it is because he was so young. He, it's like Justin Bieber, right? Justin Bieber's being smart. He's like, hey, all you people, F off, get off my gravy train. If I don't feel like touring, I'm not going to tour. My mental health is more important. But yeah. we never had those conversations back then. If anybody talked about mental health, I mean, especially in the African-American community, I can imagine, oh, there's another thing we got. We don't talk about this. We don't talk about these things. So you just put a bandaid on it and you get popular and you get famous. And then you wind up freaking injecting yourself every night with, uh, 
whatever that stuff was that makes him go to sleep. And it was, it's a, it's a horrific story. He just didn't have the right people in his life to help him. And for me, it was just deciding I want to grow. I want to be challenged. And if that is, if, if that's something that I want to focus on, then, then especially with my son, I need to focus on that. And that's the thing that pisses me off about so many parents. They're so up in arms about all these different things about what's going on. I'm like, do you know what your kid's doing in his bedroom every night? Do you actually know what emotions your kids are feeling? You're all mad about what's going on in the school. What book is this? And what do you actually know what your kids are thinking? Can your kid come to you and go, mom, dad, I feel like crap today. I feel sad because people picked on me. If you don't have a relationship with your kids and you're off here going, man, 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 everything else should be changed. You need to turn around and look in the mirror and get with your kids because if people started getting with their kids and started having relationships and connections with them, they wouldn't have to wind up being all messed up later in life. But the parents are so messed up and the parents are so don't want to deal with their own stuff that they're like, oh, he's happy on his eye. He's happy doing whatever he is he can do. I can go do my short term gratification because I don't want to think about my messed up life either. And we got to just start dealing with our garbage. Steal it. I mean, deal with it. It's not going to go away. I ask people all the time, like you're carrying around so much anger and so much resentment and hostility and you're mad at the world and you're mad. I ask people, what would it feel like if you just went like this and just let it go? Oh my God, Chris, it feels so amazing. I'm like, then why are you carrying it? Good question. I'm like, dig into that answer, please. Just spend the rest of the month digging into that answer and you will get better. Yeah, you, you say that. And really what it comes down to, even based on what you're saying, is making a decision. Mm -hmm. And that's the way that you described how you ended up not being like your mom, because it's, you have your values and then you want to be intentional about it. But I think where a lot of people get lost or, or mixed up is they don't recognize that in the micro moments, there are decisions to be made mm -hmm. and you made those decisions. And even when you talk about parenting and, and spanking, it's, you know, you're not going to have this hard and fast rule. Every time this happens, this will be the consequence. It's in this micro moment, what do we want to do? And what I say is every interaction with someone else, there should be a reflection of the value of that person to you. Yeah. And so every interaction with your son, it's a representation of how much you love being his father. And a lot of parents, they don't understand that they, and you ask questions about why don't you make this change? Why don't you do this? Why don't you connect better with your kids? And they're afraid to. They're so afraid that they're going to get it wrong. And the truth is not doing anything is getting it wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Massive. Just in the last three years alone with the, with the pandemic of how parents have handled that and what the ramifications for our youth are going to be down the road. It's, I mean, it's so multifaceted. It's, 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 it, it makes me nauseous to think about it. So, so someone comes to you and they've got their own problems. Oh, they've yeah. dealt, there's trauma that they've dealt with that they haven't fully healed from or overcome. And they see that their behavior is detrimental to their children. What, where do they go from there? Mm. And, and you can add more detail if you want, because that was kind of general. No, no, no. I love that. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind, the very first, I try to keep things as simple as possible. You know, we, we overcomplicate things so much. I'd suggest to people in that situation, take out a piece of paper and a pen and write the five people you're around the most, the five people you're around the most, write their names down and they're right next to them. Positive or, or positive or, or negative, constructive or destructive. 
the five people you're around the most. Well, I'm around my mom, I'm around my sister, I'm around my husband, I'm around the cat, and I'm around the neighbor. Okay. How are those people for you? Are those people sitting there? Hey, are you going to do that that goal today? No. Okay. Then you need to get five people around here are going to be on your team. People that you trust, the people that empower you, the people that hold you accountable, and the people that mentor you. And they can't be the same person. And so many times, Charleston, we're doing it by ourselves. Yeah. People don't even have coaches. And it's like, you want to be the best in athletics, right? Everybody knows you get a coach. You want a better golf swing. You get a coach. You get a coach. You get a coach. You get a coach. Everybody gets a coach. But nobody wants to get a coach from themselves. Oh, I don't want to deal with it. I'm going to, you know, I'm a, either you can live with the pain of the decision now to get real with your life and eliminate some people and some habits and some routines out of your life that are not serving you, or you can deal with the pain of regret later. That's it. You, that's the Detroit. That's the decision I want you to make right now. Are you going to hang on to all this stuff because it seems to serve you? Are you ready to get real serious and talk about the things you need to change and will change in your life in order not to have any regrets later whether it's your health, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your work, whatever it might, whatever it might be, are you ready? And I can tell if people are ready because there's plenty of people I've, I've denied coaching to because I'm like, mm, yeah, no, I just don't know. Their ego was too much into it. And, oh, I've done coaching before. And da, 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 I just, you know, but no, I'll ask them a few questions. I'm like, nah, you're not ready. You got to be really ready. I mean, that's why rock bottom is what it is. We know people who have hit rock, hit rock bottom or the, the rock bottom. Unfortunately, a lot of things don't change because we think it will never happen to us. Or again, we think we have so much time. I'm 54, man. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's stop the brakes, man. I was having fun. I was like thinking like this ride was going to go on for a long time. And now I'm like average life expectancy is 78 years old. I am 54 years old. That gives me 24 years. That gives me 24 summers on average and the decline in my health and everything else is going to be. Sh so I got a lot of stuff to do now and I'm yeah. excited about living now. I'm excited about making myself better. Now I'm excited about living longer. Now I'm excited about my relationship deepening with my son every year he gets older and continuing to make an impact on the world because I know that's why I'm here. So what about the, and, and we, we, we only got a few minutes left. This has been amazing. Well, I love it. But what about, what about the parents who feels as though they've already messed up too bad for their kid and they and, and they don't know how to recover. How do I rebuild a relationship? And, and let me take it a little deeper. Someone that was abusive or someone that believes they don't deserve forgiveness from their child, if they say, how do I fix that? How do I fix that? Everything, everything starts when you are ready to tackle it. It could start yes. right now. It start right now. Like go talk to your kid and say, Hey, I'm sorry. It was my fault. Here's something that I want to do differently. I'm not, I, I want to understand you. I want to listen to you. I don't want to talk to you as a parent. I want to really understand where your mindset is. And I want to shut up until you feel like you've exhausted everything that's going on in your mind right now. Do you feel comfortable doing that right now? Maybe not. Okay. Let me know when you are. And I know that it's taken me a long time to get to this point. And I know that there are a lot of things that I've done and probably scared you and shut you off. But I just want you to know you have my ultimate, my ultimate promise that however long it takes for you to feel comfortable, you've got that from me. And meanwhile, I still want to know what's going on with you. So are we, are we good with that? And just start doing those things and start listening and shut up about what they, well, they did. Did you? No, just shut up and listen. Like I literally came home one day and I never told my mom I was getting a beaten. I was getting beaten by a kid in the neighborhood. And finally, one day I came home. She's like, what happened to you? I got blood on my new clothes and everything. She was all mad. She didn't even like, are you okay or anything? She's like, why didn't you run faster? What did you do but provoke him? I'm like, 
Thanks, mom. Thanks. You, you just mad because somebody else was beating your kid except for you. You know, that's the thing people got to do wherever they're at in their life. If you're in a marriage that you're not happy with, God knows. Yes, it's awkward to say, hey, are you still in love with me? And watch their reaction that they go. It's okay. It's going to suck. It's going to hurt. Yes, it's going to be horrible, but it's better to find out now at 54 or 47 or wherever you're at in your life than to sit there and hope, wish, and pray that something changes, but nothing's going to change. And if you want a guy, if everybody wants to get real, go read the book, The Five Regrets of the Dying. The Five Regrets of the Dying was written by a hospice nurse. Incredible book. Everybody who was dying said that they regretted not living the life they wanted to live, that they lived the life that everybody else wanted them to live. And that they got on their deathbed and all they had was time to think about all the people they worried about hurting all the people they worried about when they didn't live their life. It starts today. It starts right now. It starts whenever you're serious about not having a regret in your life and, and living your best op opportunity for life. Now live your legacy today. That's what I say. I mean, it's, it's uh, life is short and just enjoy it. Be grateful. God, we can breathe on our own. We can go to the bathroom on our own. We can, we can eat. We have conversations. We have video chats. We have technologies. We can, we can, we can ask this thing, anything, and it'll give us an answer. How about right. that? <laughs> yeah. You, you remind me of, you remind me of this quote that I heard and um, people that have been following me or listening to me for a long time. have heard me say this before, but there's literally, and this is for everyone who is capable of watching this, this applies to you. There are literally a billion people on this earth that if they woke up living your life, all of their dreams would have come true. Yeah. And so you can choose to be grateful for what you have, but understand that choosing gratitude is not denying the parts that suck. It's choosing where your mind goes. And that goes right back to what you were saying, Chris, about clarity, values, and intention. And so what I want to do, we've got about three minutes left. What I want to do is just for you to break it down. A couple things. First of all, why, why people should have a coach? Why should they hire you as a coach? And what are they going to get from buying this book? Mm. Well, thank you, Charleston. It's been an amazing opportunity to be on here. This is the, the prototype cover of the book. It's just you and me kid. If you go to it's just you and me kid.com, like Charleston has so kindly had on here for listening to the audio podcast or listening to on audio, it's just you and me kid.com. It's my entire life story with my mother. Um, a lot of these values and lessons are, are contained within that. You know, honestly, man, I, I just, I, I beg for people to sit there and realize that they have the power within themselves. They have the love within themselves. They have the ability within themselves that taking that imperfect action, although it will suck three years from now, just imagine three years from now, you're healthier, you're more financially stable, your relationships are way better. You got somebody new in your life. You got a career that you, it may take hell to get those three years, but you're going to do it. And what's going to happen on the other side of the three years is you're going to become so much stronger. I've watched it. So many people have come to me. I had a 69 year old lady watch one of my walk and talk videos. And at the end, I said, anybody watching this wants a complimentary coaching session, feel free to hit me up. And it's something I do every once in a while, just my way of giving back. And so I gave her this coaching session. She said, I'm scared to death of you. And ultimately found out that she'd been widowed for 13 years and all these different things happened at 70 years old. She wanted to live her life. She want, I said, I will teach yeah. you how to fly your freak flag. And so through, uh, she coached with me for a year. She got married. She told the church what was up that happened to her when she was a kid. Let's just put it that way. Um, she found a new church. She gave her story in the church to help other people. And now she's happily married at 70. What is she? 72 now. 
you know? So it just depends on where you're at. You can still live your life today because with medical technologies and everything else, if I'm 54 today, there's the potential I could live to be 125. And how miserable would I be at 100 thinking, man, I could have been using all this time to really get going, you know? Just live your day every life, every every day of your life for yourself and for and, and and have people in your life that you get excited about, like having Charleston, he's a part of my family. You know, when you get the right people in your world and you can be real and honest and vulnerable and and get to the core of what it is that's holding you back, um, it's pretty incredible the peace and the confidence and the clarity and the love that you can have. And I'm living proof, living proof. It hasn't been easy, but man, has it been worth it. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so much. It's thank you, brother. It's really amazing to me because I know that I've dealt with a lot of things in my life. And then I can look at you, I can listen to you and be inspired by you. And so I appreciate you so much for being here. Um, And for anyone else, again, listening, watching, whatever, it's just youandmekid.com. Be inspired, be motivated, be intentional, gain clarity and choose the life that you desire and deserve. Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate you. And to everyone watching and listening, thank you. Brother. I appreciate you.